This is episode number 405 with D. Deng of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high-quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, super smart guy. You're going to absolutely love him. And he's going to talk to us about why now is no better time than ever to start a digital agency. So after a failed startup, which sent him on a journey of discovery, Dee actually met his future co-founder in a Neil Patel Facebook group. Now, Neil's been a guest on the Founder Podcast as well. And together they launched Right Hook Digital, which is a digital marketing agency that partners with e-commerce brands. Now, Dee and his co-founder took Right Hook from zero to $250,000 a month in their first year. Now, they have over 115 employees across the globe. It's one of the fastest growing companies and digital agencies in Australia. And he's actually just recently come on board to teach a new program on the founder platform called Ignite Your Digital Agency, where he's sharing his exact framework on how to start and scale your own agency in 2022 and beyond. So if you enjoy this interview, if you love the way that D thinks about business, in particular building a digital agency, and you want to learn more from him and learn really how to do this stuff, then I highly recommend that you go to founder.com forward slash digital agency or click on the link in the show notes where you can find out more about this incredible program that we've just launched this week. All right, you guys are in for an absolute treat. He's a super smart guy. You're going to love him. Now let's jump into the show. Please welcome to the podcast, Dee Deng. Dee, thank you so much for taking the time. He's come down from Brisbane, mm-hmm. a fellow Australian, but born in Singapore. So my first question is, like, why are you so open to sharing your learnings on your method, how you've grown your agency super fast and why should people start thinking about starting a digital agency today? Everyone told me I was crazy when I told them, like, hey, listen, founder reached out and wanted me to do this thing. I'm like, wait, you're going to tell them everything? It's not for me to hoard. 
right? And first of all, before you reached out and asked me to do this, I, I was toying around with the idea, but I was always hesitant, not because I want hesitant about sharing it, but hesitant in, in terms of how do you take something that's so broad and, and distill it down into something that actually makes sense and put it onto the marketplace where it has value without rambling all over the place? And I'm a bit of a rambler myself, right? But because um, you reached out, it took me back into memory, down memory lane, and really reminded me of uh, how we started. That stuff gets lost in the day-to-day busyness of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, and this is the reason to answer your first question. I remember that I really wished that I had someone who was just willing and able to break it down for break down the journey ahead for me and break down the way to think for me so that I didn't have to just grasp at straws and feel lost at a lot of times or have mentors in different industries where the transferability of advice really wasn't quite all there, right? So that's why, and also the fact that, you know, founders asking me, like, don't get me wrong, that's a huge thing. Very privileged on that side. In terms of why should people think about starting an agency, the way I think about it is being able to share your genius, your work, your value with the world beyond your 24 hours a day that you're given, right? We all, we all have that same 24 hours, but once you are able to, it's like a, it's like a genius chef that now can start their restaurant so that more guests can experience that dining experience, you know? And, all, and beyond that, the beautiful thing is, we don't have the costs of chefs. There's low overhead, there's hardly any cost to getting started. You don't need a lot of clients to really gain that initial momentum, being solid, I guess, if you will. Uh, and also, we, what you find is if you have the right frame of mind, have the right structural thinking and the processes, you can actually start to go, hey, wait a second, I have one work, like one working unit. The second one, I just have to base off the first one. The third one, I just have to base off of, so I have this template now that I can just replicate and I become the person that shares the wisdom, increases the knowledge, and they all get to work in the same type of way. So in that alone, and by the way, you, can, you don't have to leave your job if you're just transitioning over. You don't have to leave your job to do this stuff too, right? There are so many learnings you extract out of the way, but there are also so much, like, there's actual financial value that you get to extract for yourself along the way too. So, and then you build strength on strength. So I think it's, it's a great time uh, to be able to start an agency now and to actually put time into it because that's, that can then drive you towards much bigger things. Yeah, look, with everything that's happened, so many businesses going online, and there's so many marketers out there, right? And it's also, you know, so much opportunity to help businesses go online, help them grow, help them scale. And it's a low cost business that you can start. And it's it's one of these things where it's just like, you only need a couple of clients, it's crazy. So we're seeing a lot of people in our community wanna know, how do you start a digital agency? How do you get clients? How do you produce and get people great results? And you do all of that at Right Hook. So we're really excited to have you, man. You have some crazy methods, which we're gonna get into guys, like how the hell did he grow this agency so fast? And how have you been able to build it over time? Because I think, you know, that's something that I'm very, very curious, right? Like, how did you go from like, 
broke as fuck, right? You, you say broke AF um, to starting an agency and doing $250,000 per month in 14 months. Like that's a pretty fast run rate. It's, you know, one of the fastest growing companies in Australia. Um, that's not easy, right? So there must be something that you know that others don't. So like, can you just talk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's funny thinking back now, when Scott and I first founded the agency, we started with, uh, I coined this term all the time, no network, no framework. So what I mean by that is we were not ex-Facebook, ex-Google, ex sachi or anything of that nature. Um, and we had no, we were, no, were nobodies in the scene. So since we were nobodies and we're not ex-Google, ex-Sachi, ex-any of those, we didn't have a framework either. So I knew from the very beginning that because I didn't have any of that, the number one thing I had to do was study up and fast. So as I was studying up, it was understanding what were the studying successful businesses uh, of all different types and also service businesses and also studying non-successful businesses and I think it's just coming back to the, if we look at successful businesses, they have that core fundamentals, right? Number one, they have a consistent inflow of new business. Sure, they might have multiple channels, but there's, the, the consistency is there. Number two, they know exactly who they are, what they are in the marketplace, and they get really, really good at that. They focus on that instead of trying to please every, be everything to everyone and please everyone. And then number three is, once they know where they sit in that market, they didn't find a way to consistently de- deliver that value, you know, at, at that, um, at, without compromise and keeping that standard. And then the final thing, and I think this is the thing that most um, people miss out on, is the fact that their, their leaders constantly obsess over the customer. Right, Jeff Bezos famously talks about that. Zappos famously talks about that. They don't lose sight on the, on the fact that we know who we are, we know who we serve, we know we listen in on what the customer wants, and have this kind of like magical quality. Initially, I thought it was a magical quality of being able to go. This is what the market is telling us, but we can kind of see a step and a half ahead as to what they're really saying they want. So just using that template. And then being able to turn that into stuff that we need to start doing. How do we get out and posing it as a question for ourselves? How do we get the pipeline consistent? Who goes into that pipeline? How do we know, how do we figure out who we are in the marketplace? Um, even though we're nobodies, how do we turn ourselves into somebody's? Uh, and then how do we consistently provide that value? Uh, and then at the other part, how do we constantly listen so we evolve with the market, we don't get left behind? So just by that alone, we were able to just work strength on strength. And then we got that one little cool tip, which we'll talk about later, which I think really drove that home. And that really changed a lot of things for us to, to turn those fundamentals and just pour some fuel on it, you know? Mm, interesting, interesting. So... You got to tell me, man, like talk us through like the first client because there's a lot of hypotheticals and then like next level frameworks, right? But like, how'd you get that first client? I'd love to learn about that. And how can people get started straight away? Yeah. The first clients for us were, that really was um, reach out to the network. Back then we didn't specialize at all, right? We knew we were going to render Facebook ads as a service. That was about as specialized as we were going to get. 
In terms of who was the ideal client, anyone that could rub two pennies together and wanted to pay an agency was an ideal client at that point. So we reached out to, we were really um, kind of vertical or niche agnostic. Uh, we were talking to real estate agents, mortgage brokers, uh, et cetera, et cetera, you know, direct to consumer brands, et cetera, and, and eventually um, snagged our, one, had a, a whole bunch of painful conversations, right? Wrong expectation management, all that, got a whole bunch of nightmare stories for you later. Uh, and then arrived at our first client, which was a men's apparel company, and decided, you know what, uh, let's focus and hone in on direct-to-consumer brands. And quite honestly, it was all just outreach at that point. Uh, but at the same time, we were augmenting that with just boosted content. Really, it's just me jumping on whether it's a short video or something of that nature yes. to just go, well, let's give the marketplace some value. Yes. And it was super direct response. Yes. So give some value. If you'd like to talk to us, click this link here, book a call with D. Like I was the first, our first sales guy yes. and our first closer. Uh, and that's how we got the first client. It's not as um, complicated as you know most of the gurus make it out to seem, especially when you want to just get your foot in the door, get that first one. Yes. Reach out to your network, yes. absolutely. See who you have. And usually what well, you'll be surprised who knows someone who knows someone who might know someone. Yes. And spend the time talking to them because while I, while, while we were having those conversations, I get to listen and hear what they actually need. And that also helps us refine our messaging. Yes. Uh, and then also that messaging, I turn into content. Yes. And that content, if it gets engagement, will amplify. And that got us first client, right? Just a mix of um, re outreach plus that content piece. Uh, and we, we, yeah, we managed to do some damage with that client for sure. That was a fun, fun ride. Yeah, awesome. And can you tell us like how much that first client paid? Uh, yeah, when we first started out, we knew that our currency wasn't necessarily financial, yes. right? Um, so fortunately for, for Scott and, and I, we had some money tucked away before we started the agency. Yes. And we knew that we wanted to build a robust agency. Yes. So for the first six to nine months, we didn't pay ourselves anything. Every single dollar got put back into the company, into the war chest for us to deploy for later. So uh, speaking about currency, Besides the financial, we had this, this other one, right? And this is the one that we were chasing more, which is social currency, right? It's one thing to charge a client and then get another one and try to make money. Absolutely, we have to do that. But if you can delay gratification a little bit and try to find social currency, clients that uh, are very case study-able, right? Or where the results are, you know that if once you look at the the situation, they, the results that you can then turn into a case study, into a testimonial, into a research paper, can get you more of those types of clients, more of the impressive ones. That's what we were chasing. So that first client, I think we charged them like two and a half K to manage their ads a month. Yes, absolutely. Um, but on the back of that, we were always going, how do, we how do we get the performance up so that we can have something impressive to show? Interesting. And this is the concept you talk about when it comes to lighthouse clients. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, sir. Absolutely. The story in between is, you know, first few clients go to the network, find these people, et cetera. And it was only a few like weeks or even months in where I was talking to someone that was mentoring me at the time. 
and you know, he was asking, how is the agency going, this, that, and the other. Uh, and, and I was just seeking advice, but not really knowing what to ask, right? So instead, uh, the mentor at the time, he asked me, but who are your lighthouse clients? And I go, what the hell is a lighthouse client? Like, that, I, I don't, I never even heard that term before. And he goes, are you kidding me? No, what, you, you don't have any lighthouse clients? You need to get your lighthouse clients. And what lighthouse clients are, are essentially the clients that you that will shine the bright light of your great work, right? To then attract other ones like that. And that's how we started really, that's when the, 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 the penny dropped for me and the perspective really shifted because it's going, oh, so it's not just a grind to the top. It's not just collect clients and churn through them or anything of that nature. If you have lighthouse clients that then you can turn into case studies or testimonials, then you, you work on delighting them. Of course, you chase the great work for them, which places them in great positions to succeed, by the way, and likely they will be champions and ambassadors for you. You, you, you take that case study, you put that out into as content or as an ad or as amplified um, a piece of content, and that gets you even more clients which then you can turn into lighthouse clients, which then just becomes this perpetual thing. So, so that basic kind of Lego blocks was the thing that really started to, to once that shift happened, a whole we, we really acted differently. Yeah, I, I love this concept of lighthouse clients. And I, I really love the way you think about business because it's not just about churning and burning clients. You're building a real business, right? And this is... A common trap that people face, right? They're like, I'll just go and get clients, 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 but they're worth nothing if you can't retain them. So I really love this concept because that's what you guys are all about, right hook, right? And this is how you've been able to grow so fast, right? Exactly. It's 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 just focusing on, you know, if I would imagine that Jeff Bezos knows a thing or two about business. You know, like Tony Shea, like bless his soul, knows a thing or two about business. And the fact that they chose to obsess on the customer or in Zappos' version, deliver wow, there's something there and I had to really pay attention. So to your point, exactly, right? There's, it's such an easy trap to fall into acquire, acquire, acquire. Because, I mean, let's face it, selling um, is it's an exciting game, right? Mm-hmm. Selling just feels exciting. You get the adrenaline there. Man, I closed the deal. I managed to say the right things and all that. Most service providers, most agencies then go, now what? We closed them, now what? And that's when they start to fritz out a little bit. Uh, whereas we go, how do we delight at every single point? Because once we, once we delight not only performance but also experience, that's what really helps us keep this thing going. Yeah, I love it. So let's talk about retention. Um, you know, this is one thing that stands out about Right Hook. We've talked about it. Um, what are some of your unique ways, like once you get clients in, and we're going to talk more about strategy as well, but like what do you do to retain? What, what can people be thinking about? Um, mm. Because this is really accelerated growth for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's And it's so, I mean, saying it, it's really simple. Doing it is a lot harder. Quite honestly, the number one thing that we do to retain is just straight up listen. Like listen in and 
as you're, you know, as we work on, and keeping in mind we're an ongoing management type agency, some are more um, project-based agencies, but regardless of project-based or, um, or ongoing management, we're still humans selling to humans. And we're still, we get brought in as the, the special forces to augment the goal of the client. Like th- their shit is what matters, not ours. We're there to serve them. And it's the whole concept of servant leadership. So it's to listen in and go, are they stressed right now? Why are they stressed? And what can we do to support that? Are they on cloud nine right now and just like no semblance of reality whatsoever? And can we bring them back down again? So sometimes it's calling, um, being the voice of reason. And sometimes it's being their cheerleader. You know, one of our, we, we sent out a monthly uh, client survey. And um, my t- Anna on my team recently sent me a screenshot um, and it was uh, one of the questions in the monthly survey that goes out to clients is, what do you like most about your Right Hook team? Give us some feedback. And the, the answer that came back was, you know, unlike most other uh, people that we've worked with, Right Hook really treats our brand like it's their own business. And they have pushed us to even show us that our limits were too low. Because we always try to set targets for them to say, hey, we've achieved this last quarter. What do you think if we achieve, can, do you think we can achieve this the next quarter? And, you know, some founders are a lot more um, aggressive with their goals. Some are a bit more conservative, right? Like, oh, I don't know if I can hit it. So then we, we bring some logic there. We make it all about them. That's all it really comes down to over and above any of the fancy tactical stuff. Of course, there, there's that involved. You need to know what you're doing, drive results. But if we have a saying back home, Um, relationships beyond performance. So what we mean by that is we're still humans dealing with humans. They still have frustrating days. You know, when we end a Zoom call with a client, it's not the end of their day. They probably have their accountant, their bookkeeper, their supplier, like all that stuff going on. So if we empathize with that, it just makes us feel so much more part of their team. And that's what really is all about, you know? Yeah, makes sense. So Tell me kind of like the early days as well uh, when it was just you and Scott. Um, you closed like $40,000 worth of business in the first month, right? Yeah, so we 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 made a um, roundabouts. We, we made a, when Scott and I first got uh, together, we met on a Neil Patel forum <laughs> and the moderator said, hey, you know, shout out your town and find out whether someone's close by to you. Um, and I always noticed he had really smart, insightful pieces and posts. And I would sometimes like, you know, uh, be a bit of like stir some shit in there just to just to be the devil's advocate. He'd do the same back to me. Anyway, we we both were at that point in our lives where we had previous ventures. We've been burned by previous business partners before. So we're kind of tentative about going into business together. So we said to ourselves, uh, and by the way, I think I'm a horrible example for what I did, because literally we said to ourselves, uh, if we if we can manage to close six clients in six weeks, then maybe let's consider like actually incorporating this company and putting pen to paper and all that. Uh, I think in six weeks, we ended up closing like eight or 10 clients or something. And we're like, oh, shit, now what? Um, but the whole time, uh, and this is the part where it's a bad example, the whole time he had already a uh, incorporated company. So whatever invoices were issued, I was just like, listen, I don't, like, what's the worst that can happen? This guy's going to burn me, and then I'll have my lesson learned. 
All the invoices got issued into him. The bank account was in his name. Just almost blind trust. Not because blindly I was just like fully trusted the guy within five minutes, but it's more that I was adamant that this thing was either going to work or I was out out. So if, if, you know, if he like absconded funds or like did something shady, I'm like, ah, no harm, no foul. You got your money. I can get to do my own thing, whatever, whatever. But um, yeah, essentially uh, at the early days, it was just him and I, I would do the sales calls. Uh, he would be the one servicing clients. We would share the load with operations and some of those other things. You know, life's a lot simpler back in your, when you were a two-person team. And it feels like you're in a food truck, you know, like everyone's got a piece of, uh, of the action kind of a deal. That's how it started. Thanks for taking me back into, it's nice walking down memory lane. Yeah, it's crazy because that was only a few years ago and you've got like 110 plus? Yeah, 115-ish team members now. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's wild. These days, how much do you usually charge per client? So back in the day, 2.5, we're chasing different currency. We still chase that currency, that social currency till today. Like we do not let up on that. Um, our team now is... so. Like I said, right, early on, we only rendered Facebook ad management. That was the only service that we rendered. We then started to really evolve into being more growth marketing focused, you know, sitting uh, founders down. And, you know, some of these founders are like very designer centric, not that financially sound, I guess, in terms of business finance. So our we've really morphed into sitting a founder down. Let's look at your P&Ls. Let's look at your cost of goods. Let's look at your MER, right? Your marketing efficiency ratio and really work those numbers through and then put together because now we have, you know, uh, we run Google ads, got YouTube, got email, got SMS, got uh, paid social as well. We've expanded way beyond Facebook. So we've got some clients paying us up to like 50 G's a month uh, just to, because we pay such uh, deep respect to the fact that it's relationships beyond performance. It's both at the same time. And then number two, we we always say to them, listen, we don't, and this is the part that's contentious, okay? What's bothering me about contentious is we tell our clients, we don't expect you to be around with us forever. So our job is to get you to that point. If you want to start bringing it in-house, then we can actually consult and help you hire and do all that because we know that eventually we'll be replaced. So like most other agency coaches that that have kind of mentored me or advised me, kind of paint this picture like clients stick, make them stick around forever as opposed to addressing it and saying, that's not the point. The point is to give as much value as possible, right? And of course, receive as much value as possible from the client, but be very open with them to go, this is how much we have your back. To the point where if you want to bring it in-house, let's help you bring it in-house. Let's help you train those people. Let's help you vet those people so that you can replace us eventually at some point. And sometimes they're like, no, we don't want that. Like, you know, you, for an agency, wait, you. so you guys want us to fire you? It's like, no, 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 we don't want you to fire us. But we know that if you do want to start bringing it in-house, we have your back. And it really confuses them. Like, what are you saying? This makes me even want to stick around more. Because I have to train these people, then I have to manage them. I don't even know how to talk all the cool stuff that you guys talk. You guys manage that stuff, you know? Yeah, wow, that's impressive, man. So talk me through kind of like early days, first six weeks, you and Scott didn't even really know him that well. 
Uh, you know, you signed six to eight clients, 40 grand worth of work. Now you get started. Like, was there any kind of really gold pieces that you could share with anyone that's looking to start around like how you were able to close so many clients quickly? Because for some people, that'd be a dream, mm. right? Even even closing like 10 grand a month worth of work and just like off you go, right? Yeah. Like, so talk, talk me through kind of like, were there any anything that you could share there? Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I, we've had to dig through a lot of dirt to get through the gold. And, and sometimes maybe the lesson lives in the dirt as well as in the gold, yes. right? Like, um, you know, when we first started out, and I don't come from a, you know, as much as you see me in the way I am now, you know, I don't come from a sales background, right? I, I, it wasn't, I don't have this, didn't have this, wasn't born with this polished kind of like can deliver well. And and a big, a big, trap that we fell into was the trap of, you know, if you're a service business or if you're an agency, you always have to like kowtow to the client, you know, like um, without standing your ground, really didn't understand the servant leadership thing. It was almost like servant, no leadership, right? So a a lot of the falling into traps of um, like justifying our existence or like, oh, please, please choose us. Please, and, and you know, people can smell the des- that kind of desperation, right? Or they, they start to smell like, oh, I can put my thumb over these guys, right? Whoever, um, whoever pays the piper calls the tune kind of a thing. So it, 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 it quickly evolved. And fortunately for me, I'm always, I've always been very fascinated about the human condition and understanding that everyone, who is this? I think Oprah was the one that famously said it. Everyone on this planet just wants to feel like they are heard and understood. So goes for, and I go, wait a second, these are also humans that we're selling to, just in a different business context. Clearly, it's the same for them. So going, going against the grain, when everyone is zigging, how do we zag? So how do we zag, meaning how do I, how do I get to a place where I can understand that I sometimes would be, it would be in servitude of the client or the prospect during those sales calls. For me to just call them out on their bullshit and just say, I understand that you want to be hitting um, half a million a month in sales, but your budget's $5,000 a month. Like, how do those numbers make sense? You talk me through that. And which confused them. They're like, no, you're the agency. You talk me through that. And I go, well, I understand. And what I'm saying is, how did you see this playing out in your head? I'm keen to hear your thoughts. I value your thoughts as much as you want to just make, you know, tease these thoughts out of me. So just by being able to listen, I, they, they start to reveal what's important to them. And by revealing what's important to them, we get to refine, 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 hone, hone, hone. You know, not every single call is a close. We were never chasing the close. We were always chasing the fit, right? Whereas what most other gurus teach you is chase the close. If you're chasing the close, they smell that desperation. And also what you do to yourself is you might close clients that cause a whole bunch of havoc later. And when clients cause havoc later, if you have a portfolio of clients, it's like having, imagine a, um, a daycare center of eight babies. If one baby just cries and is vomiting and is doing all that, the seven babies, guess what? They get less attention 
And that becomes very, that's like a landmine just waiting to explode if you have that just close kind of mindset. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. In those early days, was it ever scary? Did you ever feel worried or scared or intimidated? Yeah, all that, all that. Um, you know, worried that I would be, they would like have a bad experience and talk shit about us. I was always really paranoid about online reputation, right? Because all it takes is just one bad Google review and yeah. then people just pile on. Or worried that because we didn't have um, any reputation that that, painted the, our entire reputation, worry that um, we would set wrong expectations and then they would expect like the moon and we couldn't deliver, worry that we couldn't deliver. You know, like we had to prove it to ourselves as well that we could deliver. So, but the intimidation was for the longest time always there. Um, and there were definitely nerves, like, you know, before the, uh, usually they show up more like two, three minutes late. So you're there, you're getting ready on the Zoom call and you're like, okay, 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 okay. It's going to happen. And then you, while you're prepping yourself, they pop up on the Zoom and they're like, hello? And I'm just like, oh, uh, hi. And this was another thing that really messed with me, like from all these other sales gurus that tell you, like, have a script. So my brain was so noisy with remembering what the script was that I wasn't listening to the person in front of me. And what they were really saying, when I finally understood, Lighthouse Client, one big pivotal change. The next change was actually, actually, actually listen and be curious more than you talk during a sales pitch, right? So much sales training is almost like the, the salesperson does most of the talking. What I found and what we found, which is still our formula for today, is in fact that you do a third of the talking, they do the two thirds. Because once you get them talking and once they feel comfortable with you, you build that, cult that micro culture within that one call of like safety. I'm here to diagnose you. I'm not here to judge you. You don't have to feel stupid. You know how sometimes we speak to experts, we, because we're the business owner, we're like, oh, we don't want to seem stupid in front of them. We might, they might treat me like a, my mechanic treats me. Oh, yes, the part with the carburetor and the thing, $20,000. And you go, I don't know whether that's verifiable or not. So we, we really do as much as possible during that first call to, to over-communicate. We are here to diagnose you. If you, um, whatever you tell us, there is no judgment. Our job is to get you better, good to great, to steal a Jim Collins term, rather than judge you and make you be like, oh, you dumbass, like you don't know this, that, and the other, which I think a lot of other agencies might accidentally do because they speak to 
in, into like technical or sophisticated terms as opposed to say, I'm here just to make you explain to you what the procedure is going to be like. A bit like when you go to a surgeon, right? They just talk you through, don't worry, you're going to be in safe hands. We're going to make an insertion here. We're going to go under here. If any complications happen, we have a backup plan. Then we feel safer when we hear those things, you know? So just respecting those simple human condition type rules also help me calm down because I go, they're just as worried and scared and anxious as I am because they could be parting ways with thousands of dollars with a stranger. So how do I help them feel safe? And then eventually some resonance kind of came through, you know? Yeah, I love it. So what about costly mistakes? What are costly mistakes that you've made that you wish you could share with people right now? Do we have six hours? Because we, I've got six hours worth, probably even more. Give us your um, best one. Right, right. Uh, most of them, almost like overwhelmingly costly mistakes. It's just violating the stuff that we knew we should not do anyway. What do I mean? An enticing, appealing, very sexy looking brand comes along, right? And on paper, it looks super awesome. The website looks amazing. Uh, but you get some like amber flags, right? Like either the founder... Uh, and, and it'll be some Freudian slip, something like a um, uh, something where it's like, oh, you know, we don't have the budget now, but then in two in two months' time when we raise, then this whole thing will unlock. And a lot of like, if this, then this, then this, and you go, but the brand is so sexy, we'll do whatever it takes. And that we've done multiple times. And the whatever it takes of, oh, it'll be fine. We'll like we'll figure out when we get there because the brand is so sexy that we want to chase that lighthouse like oh potentially like 80 percent it's a lighthouse 20 percent this thing doesn't work out and then we let them through the door and then we the people only hear what they want to hear or then our team has to be that naggy team to be like hey remember that content that you said you could get in place in two months time um can we get it now oh no no, no we're busy we haven't this thing fell through what about now and then so we run out of creative or like, you know, ad fatigue starts setting in. And then it starts to get into this bad place of like finger pointing. Why is performance down? What's the matter with you guys? We get, It's like, but then the last thing you want to do is point back to the client and be like, but you promised us creative. You didn't. So no expectation management setting. We were more optimistic than not, uh, than we should have been. We, we, um, we didn't take a true uh, gut check of, is this really mutual fit? Mutual fit, meaning both ways, absolutely. And sometimes it's because we just have, we, you know, we hired a new team and they need to be filled up with clients. Some other times it's because of the super sexy brand. All that and then two, three months down, the difficulty with our game is, you know, if you are creating product, right? You order from the supplier, you ship it out. Um, usually by the first few orders, you could start to see like chargebacks quite quickly. You get that feedback loop. Or if you are in the publishing model and have a course, you test a little bit of content, you can see it back quite quickly. For us, because we're in the service business and sometimes getting a client set up, testing, and then scaling could be two months, like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. So the feedback loop for like negative ROI only kicks you in the butt a lot later. And then you're like, why, why, why? We knew that we shouldn't have done it, but we did it anyway. So that's one. And I think the another another horrible one is always I never understood this until, um, until it actually happened to us. The understood the this being that I think I read read a stat somewhere. Right, the cost of a bad hire 
is usually 15x that person's salary. And I was like, that's crazy. 15x? That's so exaggerated. Until, you know, when you're growing fast, you hire fast, right? Especially for a service, like a knowledge work type type of uh, uh, business. So then when you go too fast, sometimes too fast, then you should be vetting. You should be more, like, faster than you, than you should be in terms of intentionality. Then what happens is we kind of cut corners with onboarding or you know we have we let we allow for this kind of rock star mentality to come in where it's like one strategist who has all of the great stuff in their head but don't follow best practices but they're driving the results right so what do you do like they're driving the results but they're not following best practices and what what ends up happening is then some of the other team members go wait if he's not following best practices I'm getting results too. Why should I follow? And then it starts to spread and spread and spread. And, and, um, you know, understanding the higher slow fire fast or at least mitigate fast. We were really stuck because we didn't know whether to approach that rock star and be like, hey, you got to how to approach that conversation, really. And where we've really changed it now is to go what we're trying to build is a like increase the wisdom of the company. So inter team learning so that if one and that's the beautiful thing about owning an agency, by the way. We get to see a lot of like industry patterns, right? Apparel, jewelry, high ticket, low ticket, info, um, uh, health, like uh, supplements, uh, wellness. We start to see patterns, but then we also get to cross learn with one another. So angles that might work here, copy that might work here, creative that might work here, we get to share. So now we have, which we stole from Netflix, Moments of Sunshine, which Reed Hastings put into Netflix. So we sunshine learnings. We also sunshine losses so that the rest of the team can learn from that. And everyone speaks and shares very openly as opposed to before, right, where the mistake was more like like almost like chimneys and info hoarders and wisdom hoarders. It's almost like my secret sauce as opposed to our secret sauce or our sauce in general. So we talk about, you know, acquisition and lighthouse clients let's talk more about this lighthouse flywheel that you have going on when it comes to getting just consistent streams of lighthouse clients yeah absolutely it's you know this whole flywheel concept really got popularized by uh, jim collins if i'm not wrong right where one step thrusts the next step forward which places that next step in the best position to succeed and then it thrusts the next one and you kind of have this this flywheel that just builds its own momentum. And, uh, and like, like I said, right, once that thing clicked of get your lighthouse clients, then the next one, the, the next piece of it started to click and click and click, which brought us back to the first piece. Namely, if you, if you establish that lighthouse client, that uh, client that can give you the great testimonial, speak to your trust, your authority, your goodwill, the, the, quality of your work and the quality of your team and what they experience, their benefits. Um, and if you can have a, a br- broken down case study or mock-up or, or cool design, anything like that, then taking those things, amplifying them out there into the marketplace. So not necessarily just putting up on a blog where you might have low traffic, mm-hmm. but just putting some type of little bit of paid spend behind it or sharing it in communities where those prospects and those potential other lighthouse clients already exist. They're there waiting for you to share knowledge with them. 
But now, of course, the best person to brag about you is someone else, not you. So that's what feeds into this piece, amplifying that to the places where your future prospects are already existing. That will then drive your pipeline with more of these curious people to go, hey, that brand is similar to mine. Or, hey, I know that founder. Like that, If that founder says that this is legit, I at least need to talk to this, this team. So then that comes back to you now having more potential Lighthouse clients, which you then bring in-house because you're talking about the stories of other Lighthouse clients during your discovery call. And by the way, the number one selling, and, and this is just me making it up, but the number one selling dish in the world, in any restaurant, I'll bet you, is I'll have what they're having. Right? So if you showcase what other people are getting, oh, by the way, let me show you a, a story of a similar brand to you or a founder that went through the same struggles as you, then that brings in more Lighthouse clients and now you have this perpetual cycle that works for you. And the beautiful part is it's win-win because it works for them too. You're talking about similar brands, you're servicing similar brands, you're staying within where you sit in the marketplace. And also the market is telling you whether it's resonating with you as well. Got you. So attract them, delight them, and then amplify it, and then it just keeps going. I couldn't have put it better myself. Amazing. Incredible. So tell me about, um, you were telling me this over dinner, I said, have you got any cool stories for us? And the first one that you told me was you said, man, there was something very special when I had a million dollars in my bank account. Not first million dollars in revenue, but million dollars in bank account. Why? Yeah, it's, um, you know, anyone that knows my story, and, and you absolutely do, know that I, because of some stupid moves in prior business ventures, found, my, found myself in a place where, like, the absolute most financial instability ever. Right, and I made a promise to myself, and I'm actually getting a bit choked up just talking about this. Like I, made, I made a promise to myself never to let myself feel like that ever again or put my wife or my stepkid in that position ever again. They still don't know this story, by the way. The fact that like uh, a bunch of money because of a, a huge bill got taken out of my bank account and it came up on my banking app. We were having dinner in front of the TV and I looked to my left and I, in a split second, asked myself, should I tell them or no? And I never told them up, up until today. Unless, unless, honey, you're watching this, like <laughs> she, she still doesn't know. Um, and that was just a choice I made, right? But, but I, I made a promise to myself and I took a screenshot at the time because I took it really seriously. How can I, back then, as someone who wanted to be an entrepreneur, go so far the other way, right? I'm, this is meant to bring me financial freedom financial stability, but I went so far the other way. And I, that day left a really huge mark on me. So then move fast forward into the future when I looked at her bank account and I saw, oh my God, it's here. This isn't revenue um, top line, right? And I say all the time, revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity, right? And once we had that in there, that was like the, oh my God, oh my God, I can breathe. I don't have to be like scared about every single move that we make. It's, it has that rainy day fund in there. So um, just so that we can, in, in the worst case, absolute Armageddon scenario, if we can have three months OPEX in there, six months OPEX in there, like for us right now, uh, our golden standard that we're still trying to work towards is 
Bill Gates' 12 months. By the way, he kept 12 months OPEX at Microsoft. What? So that's my like vision. Ideally, we can get there. I don't know, like call me conservative, right? There are, of, of course, other ways to deploy capital. Um, but to be able to say rainy day, we're covered. And if there are interesting projects or if there are compelling other things to deploy capital into, we can now. Prior to that, it was like, you know, I guess um, like squirreling, like a little squirrel, just squirreling nuts away because winter is coming, winter is coming. And now it's like you can look at the your little chest and go, I have enough acorns. I'm going to be okay. Even if winter comes, there's, it's that and there. It's... Uh, I wish I had the words to be able to describe the sensation, right? And I also wish that I can get that sensation again, which I never will, which is maybe what makes it special. But to be able to see that in there was a uh, was huge, absolutely huge. Yeah, that's a really cool story, man. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'm curious as well, right? Like, let's talk about the agency model compared to other models. Like you said, like you've done other business models and, you know, quite transparently at Founder, we have courses on all the different models, right? Because we want to democratize entrepreneurial education. So I'd love to know kind of like some other models and, and where you were at and what happened and why those models weren't your fit. Right, right. So uh, the first startup was, uh, the first startup was essentially um, 2014, right? Um, in 2013, this wise guy picked up this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. You know, by this Tim Ferriss guy, I don't know if we know him or not, you might know him, um, that claimed that you can have a 4-Hour Workweek and join the new rich, I think he called it. And But that really fascinated me. I knew, I, there were, there, you know, the cynic in me was like, ah, that sounds too good to be true, but there was something in there that kind of woke me up. Uh, so then that led me to hearing about this thing called, like, TechCrunch and... Um, Fortune magazine and all these other magazines to go, wait, there's this whole, like, it's not just special people that create um, de- tech products or like, you know, these unicorns. I didn't even know the term unicorn existed back then. So uh, that was, in, if you recall, 2013, 2014 was also where the whole share economy yeah. thing was coming up, democratizing. It was almost like democratize and then insert uh, some old traditional thing here. Yes. Back then I was working in film production and um, the, the, what I was trying to do because I was working in the field in, uh, in a rental house and I was always getting calls from producers needing last minute equipment. And I was always hooked up with a whole bunch of freelancers that didn't have gigs and had equipment. And I was doing this all the time. Be like, no, you just talk to you. I don't even know why you're calling me. I'm just a rental house. And I went, wait a second, there might be something here. So that that was the marketplace model, which notoriously learned after the fact is one of the hardest models to crack uh, in that game because you have both sides to generate uh, yeah, supply and demand, for. like Airbnb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So only learn about that after the fact. But during that journey. That was where I cut my teeth in performance marketing, in running paid ads. And I remember the first time I tried to run, uh, my friend showed me how to run a Facebook ad. And I went, wait, you mean I can target someone based on their income bracket, whether they were just married and their gender and where they live, almost down to like 
one singular person, if I know enough about that person, and this was 20, you know, this was like the golden ages, right? Like completely insane stuff. That really whet my appetite to go, wow, this, you know, what is this whole uh, viral coefficient thing? What is this growth hacking stuff? That's really where I cut my teeth. And because we bootstrapped, I never got to raise capital. Every single dollar that I spent, I had to make sure that I got a ROI. I had a tech co-founder, learned a lot of lessons about having a yes man as a co-founder as well, um, and how that damaging that can be, especially if you don't have the right mix, the right fit, uh, and team dynamics also, and got exposed to a ton of mentors, uh, a ton of different types of founders, got to meet um, someone who exited to Twitter, right? He mentored me for the longest time, still does from time to time, um, and he owns, he has a, a tech firm as well as a, an agency. So he talked me through like, you know, some of his clients just like Pharrell is one of his clients. He talks me through what that is like dealing with those types of personalities. I asked, you know, you see photos of him on Facebook and it's like Mark Cuban, Pharrell and ScarJo at the same meeting and him just randomly there, just some Aussie dude. Um, but it was also during that time that I got to like pitch Guy Kawasaki in person absolute nobody just by like social hacking um another uh social hacking like a uh one of those learn skills course type of websites so that was super cool got to pitch like um peter goldwin from meyer goldwin mayor mgm the lion i got to pitch one of those so that's what really inducted me into it so as much as on paper was an absolute failure and brought it brought me to my knees financially the learnings are irreplaceable. I would not, if you asked me, D, if you had to go back through that and suffer all through that embarrassment and pain and all that stuff again, I probably would say yes, I would do that. Because if not, it wouldn't have humbled me to go into this venture um, to firmly know in my head that I know close to nothing. That emptiness to go sponge everything as opposed to think you know stuff. Mm, yeah, what an incredible story, man. So how long did you work on that before you started decided to start the agency? I ground that one out. So 2014, we got into an incubator. Um, I remember the to get in, you pitch, and then you get a uh, $20,000 investment, right? And back then, I was like, wow, $20,000? Before you know it, you speak to legals, you speak to an accountant, you speak to someone else, and then pfft, it's gone, right? It's hardly anything in the scheme of things. Um, so that was 2014. We incorporated uh, Right Hook July 3rd, 2017, right? Keeping in mind, incorporation was after we confirmed to ourselves that we were going to get into business together. So during that time, it was really just doing that, trying to make it work, um, freelancing as a videographer, video producer on the side. And as I started to mature, building my chops, um, while running the startup, also putting myself out there as a gun for hire marketing consultant. And that's where I got to work with consumer packaged goods companies, um, uh, got into this one company that was making $15 million a year uh, and needed to really wanted to amplify that. I dig a bit deeper and I find out that they were, they were making $15 million a year. And this is where I got to learn about like business egos. The 15, the CEO was the one that pitched me, really wanted me to get in. Um, we managed to find an arrangement that I would be the plug-and-play CMO for just a six-month stint only. 
uh, painted this really rosy picture and we want to double that this year, D. Uh, I go in there, I talk to the CFO who didn't know that I was a CMO. I was just like first day on the job. And I find out that it was $15 million a year five years ago. And every year since five years ago, the revenue were de- was declining in half. So I came into a burning ship. They needed a turnaround CMO, not a amplify, amplify kind of CMO. So that was a whole other experience, but that was shocking. Awesome. So D, it's very, very clear that starting a digital agency today is a massive opportunity. Like, I'm even thinking, how can we bolt this on to founder, right? Like, it'd be great little cash flow business for us. We've got a lot of stuff going on. So look, it's a massive opportunity. There's no better time to start than yesterday. It's a great business model where it doesn't cost that much, if anything, to get started. You can go out and get a few clients. You only need a few clients, just like yourself um, and your story. And what's really important as well is like, there's so many things you need to learn, right? And we've only covered a few things today around acquisition, like how, how you get White House clients, all these different things. But there's so much more we can cover and we could talk about this all day, which is why at Founder, we work with incredible founders like yourself to really democratize entrepreneurial education. We have an incredible course platform and you know, we've partnered with you to create this incredible program on how to really not only just start your digital agency, but grow it and make sure you can build a sustainable, profitable business that doesn't give you headaches, right? So I'd love to hear from you kind of like, you know, what's next? Right. And I'm glad you framed it that way too, right? Because uh, so much out there in the market is like, acquire, acquire, acquire. This is exactly how what you should say and how you should frame it to acquire. And that was the same, when you said what's next, that was the exact same frustration I had when looking out there into the market for resources. Like, well, cool, now, now what? Like, you know, I, now what do we do? We, we know how to close them, that's fine. But then what do we do next? And, and you know, and that again, I need to emphasize. That's why I'm so glad and so privileged and honored that and humbled, really, that you invited me to do this because I get to now have the opportunity to put into the course things that I wish someone told me and knocked me over to him and be like, "Stop doing that, you silly! Like, what are you doing? There are better, easier ways. Like, get out of your own way, right? Or it's it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to be." Uh, a servant little, um, almost like treated like someone's bitch just because you have clients. So acquisition is just the start. We have that whole acquire, delight, retain, absolutely. The way that we can break it down or or what I started to understand is you have your acquisition, absolutely. But to have, imagine like a a strong triangle, right? One of the strongest uh, shapes in terms of bases geometrically. You have your acquisition on one side then you need to be able to have great fulfillment to drive your acquisition. Those two is awesome, but you now have like a little tent. The base that you need is to have that finance in there and just have like at least some finance acumen, some way to keep the money in the business, right? Understand what is it that the deeper level of if revenue is vanity and if profit is sanity and cash flow is king, what does that mean for an agency? Because... And it's all three put together, not just the one, right? Sure, you have the acquisition side, great acquisition. If your finance is horrible, you're gonna have a whole bunch of pissed off clients and your reputation is gonna go down the sinker. 
if you have great fulfillment, but you don't have great um, acquisition or great finance, like especially acquisition, then you it's like having the best chef, but then no one in the dining room. Who's going to even eat the chef's stuff, right? And then if you don't have any great finance, you can do all this stuff all day, day in, day out, but you might not even know where your profit centers are, or you might not even know that it's actually, you're running at a loss because you want to put in such great work and you over-service and you overextend and you spend so much time that your per hour versus your billables is actually the other way. Your per hour is here, your billables is here, but it might look like your revenue is growing. So having those three things together, the stuff that I wish someone was able to break down to me to go, it's not one thing only, you dummy. It's all three together was the thing that I really so badly wished I had. And now this opportunity to put it in front of you guys is something that I'm so excited about um, to really get into the meat of it, you know, give the, have the frameworks in there. Yeah, no, it's amazing, man. Like you clearly have a method and a system and a process that works. You've scaled your agency super fast. I hear nothing but great things from Right Hook. So you're doing a lot of things right. So it's been incredible to have you here in Melbourne in the studio, just shooting with our team, unpacking everything that you've learned throughout these past, what, three, four, five years, starting this agency and building it at the speed that you are. It's, you know, your, your company is like one of the fastest growing companies in Australia, has been for quite a few years in a row. So um, yeah, we're really humbled and blessed to have you unpack and teach to our community. So uh, yeah, thank you so much, brother. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. My man, wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.